Good morning. morning. How's today? A couple of you are pretty good. I'm not sure about the rest of you. This is a this is a prayer shawl that somebody gave me several years ago. Today it's going to represent the mantle of Elijah and the office the, it symbolizes the prophetic office and it calls it a cloak in some translations it calls it a mantle in other translations nonetheless that's what it's representing for us today and we're just going to let it do that so that we remember we need the power of the lord We're going to be using uh, two names today that sometimes get very confusing. Elijah and Elisha. For a long time, I could never remember which one comes first. Was it Elisha or was it Elijah? And then, I don't know where I got it, but I decided there is an alphabetical way to figure it out. Right? Elijah is with a J, Elisha is with an S, and I figured it out. Now Elijah comes first and Elisha comes later. You all right? Yeah, okay. So if you didn't know that trick before, now you've learned something today, and it'll be helpful to you. How many of you really like change? I mean, you get all excited when something is going to change. Don't answer me because you'll be lying if you say you do. (laughs) Most of us don't. Change uh, takes us to unfamiliar places. Change can threaten our security. Change can threaten our uh, circumstances and actually impose undesirable circumstances into our life. Change can bring unwelcome alterations to our lifestyle. Nobody really likes change. Unless, of course, they can approach it with an attitude of anticipation for the unfolding future. So you kind of see, yes, it's going to be better, but most of the time we don't see it that way. You may know the name Sheldon Cooper. Anybody know that name? Yeah, okay, all right. Big Bang Theory, rather eccentric character on TV. I don't watch... Big Bang Theory very much. I've been tempted to kind of get into it now that it's, you know, streaming and all that stuff. But there is a particular episode in which he's faced with the knowledge that his neighbors are moving. And he says something in his panic that is pretty true to what most of us think about change. I'm going to show you this clip, I hope, and we're going to see if we can. Change is not fine. They say it is, but it's not. Our scripture reading today is really about changes or transitions in life. Transitions are not easily negotiated because they often bring out strong emotions. I want you to think about some situations you may or may not have been in, but some of them may hit you. Uh, think about these life transitions that you may have faced. For instance, 
putting your kindergartner on the bus for the first time. Or watching your son or daughter march down the aisle in their graduation cap and gown. Or as a student changing teachers in the middle of the year. Watching one of your children get married. Facing uncertain health issues. Or losing a loved one to death or losing your job. Change might be big. Or it could be something relatively small. I didn't tell her I was going to pick on her today, but Joanne actually grieved the change in our wallpaper in the kitchen when we remodeled our house a little bit in Jackson a few years ago. She grieved the loss of her wallpaper. Oh, well. It was a change. And there are many changes, many transitions in life including a change in pastoral leadership once in a while. Transitions, changes. Monty Newman, who is the pastor at Heritage Community Bible Church, had this to say about change. He says, change or or transitions are not the exception, they are the rule. Change happens. We are all being altered in appearance. We are changing. To live is to be in transition, to be changing. Someone has said that there are only two certainties in life, death and taxes. I want to add a third one. It's death, taxes, and change. So then we have to ask the question, since we love God, and since we want to be in the center of His will, How do we negotiate those transitions in lives, in our lives, in a way that will please the Lord? Surely it's not appropriate for us to go kicking and screaming into the future, though I've done that a few times. (laughs) Obviously, we really can't question the wisdom and the will of God, at least not down deep. Neither can we wallow around in our own self-pity or blame someone else for messing up our comfortable status quo. So how do we get through it? What do we do in order to successfully negotiate the path of transition? And I think Elisha serves as an example of what it takes. The story is found in 2 Kings chapter 2. It's 1 through 15. We're not going to read all that. But I am going to read you a significant portion just to get the idea to refresh our memory as to what's really going on. Second Kings chapter 2 and verse 1 says, and this is the New Living Translation. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. Now, down to verse 7, if you have your Bibles and are trying to follow. Fifty men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. And the river divided, and the two of them went across on dry ground. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. And Elisha replied, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit 
and become your successor. Verse 11. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided, and Elisha went across. (coughs) Excuse me. Elisha has run into a major change in the circumstances of his life. You know what was going on? God was retiring his pastor. Can you identify with that? Elisha had sat under the ministry of Elijah for some time now. He was enjoying the fellowship. He respected the leadership. He was growing spiritually as a result of the mentorship. And there's textual evidence, however, to indicate that Elisha really didn't like what was going on. He was very upset by the changes that were coming. He liked things the way they were. However, in spite of his strong negative feeling about Elijah's departure... He found a way to negotiate the uh, transition, and he did it successfully. And I think that if we do what he did, we'll be able to negotiate our changing circumstances in a way that pleases the Lord. So let's go to the text. Let's see what happens. We're going to kind of work our way through those verses. To negotiate the transition successfully, first of all, rest In God's knowledge. Verse 3, the group of prophets from Bethel came to Elijah and asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. In other words, I don't want to talk about this. We can infer from his exchange and others that Elisha was fully aware of what was going to happen. And he was aware that God was doing it. And even though he didn't like it and he didn't want to talk about it, he understood that God knew what was about to happen. And he knew how to help Elisha navigate the transition. One of the first things we need to acknowledge in transitions is that whatever it is, this did not take God by surprise. Right? Whether it's a pastoral change, a change in your employment status, uh, some government catastrophe, a serious illness, an accident that permanently changes your life, the death of a loved one, or a change in some relationship, God knows. God is not only aware of it, He knows how to help us handle it as well. 
God knows about the circumstance. God knows how you feel about it. God knows what needs to be done. God knows how to accomplish his purposes through the change. And if that's the case, and it is, then we need to be sure we are living in a place to hear what God may say to us about the transition. Be open to the Lord. In the passage, we see prophets who who were evidently listening to the voice of God. They knew what was going to happen. They knew what God was about to do. And safely negotiating the transitions begins with the knowledge that God knows what's happening and he knows how to help us through it. He knows what to do about it. He knows. The second key to negotiating transitions successfully is this. Focus on God's mission. Verse 9, when they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. And Elisha replied, please, let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. In other words, Elisha was saying, let me carry on the work God has given you to do. I want to be as committed to God's mission as you, and maybe even more. Now, that's significant to me because it's consistent with Elisha's original response to God's call on his life. When God called Elisha, he was just minding his own business. In fact, he was plowing his fields with his oxen the day that Elijah found him. God had told Elijah before this to anoint Elisha as his successor, and so Elijah extended the invitation to Elisha. Now, evidently, it wasn't an immediate yes. There was some time that elapsed. Elisha took some time before he made up his mind. You can find this if you don't, you don't need to go there now, but in 1 Kings 19, that's where these things are happening. So, he finally decides he's going to respond to God's call, and he decided to follow what God's will was for his life. And so he sealed his commitment. Now we're talking about what's gone on before. He sealed his commitment by slaughtering his oxen, which means he wouldn't be able to use them to plow anymore. And more than that, he roasted their meat over a fire that he used his plow as kindling for. So he's destroying his livelihood. And he's feeding the meat to the people who are around him kind of as a goodbye gesture. And then... He's following Elijah. He left behind his former life. He left behind his livelihood in favor of being committed to the mission God was pursuing in Israel through Elijah. And so now, these years later here, now in the transition, Elisha is continuing his commitment to carry out God's mission. Now, here's the problem that occurs to me. Too often, when it comes to the transitions we have in life, we are committed to our own mission, along with our own preferences, more than we're committed to God's mission in the world. We tend to want what we want, 
more than what God wants. I don't think we intend to do that, but that's what we do. And as a result, we short-circuit what God is trying to do for us and through us. When things happen that we don't like or something gets changed in a way that doesn't fit our preconceived notion of how it ought to be, we need to keep the bigger picture, the bigger kingdom picture in mind and the mission God has called us to and wants us to share with him. And the mission can't be said more plainly than this, that he came to seek and to save the lost. That's the mission. He came to seek and save the lost. Elisha could have used this transition as a time to go back to his farming. He would had to buy more oxen and another plow, but he could have gone back. He could have called it quits, but he didn't. He stayed committed to God's mission and God's call on his life. And he carried it even further. While Elijah limited himself to the northern kingdom of Israel, Elisha's ministry extended to both Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. God used Elisha beyond the Territory that Elijah had been covering beyond what Elijah had been able to do. Why? Because Elisha stayed focused on God's mission. Now, closely related to focusing on God's mission is the third key for a successful transition. It is this. Determine to remain faithful. Have you ever told someone not to do something and all along you're hoping they will do it anyway? You may have done that or you may have been on the other end of it where you had this feeling that even though your friend was saying, no, no, you don't have to help, what they really wanted was for you to say, I'm going to help. And that's kind of what's going on in this passage with Elijah and Elisha. Verse 2, and Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. That same conversation takes place two other times with different destinations in mind. But Elisha, you stay here. And Elisha's response was, I will never leave you. God, through Elijah, was giving Elijah the opportunity to demonstrate His faithfulness. Elisha could have given in to the temptation to take the easier path. He could have decided it just wasn't worth the effort. Okay, okay, I'll just stay here. Good idea. I don't really want to go anyway. But he remained faithful. To have God's best during the transition, we must remain faithful. Faithful to him, even when it's difficult to do so. We need to be willing to go all the way. We need to be willing to take the risk. We need to be willing to ignore the distractions in order to have God's best. And there you go. Distractions. Oh my. The enemy will bring distractions. He will do anything he can do everything he can do to get you to focus on something other than God's mission. 
I listen. I once talked to the member of a church that was distracted by the fact that the pastor wore the same suit too many Sundays in a row. I'm not kidding. At another church, some people were distracted because the new pastor didn't kneel to pray on the platform when he first came before the service. The new pastor didn't kneel down like the former pastor did. And they were upset by that. Satan has used changes in worship styles, which tend to happen. Operational policies, church decor, changes in service times, leadership personality differences, even differences in evangelism methods. That's just naming a few of the things the enemy does to distract people from keeping the main thing, the main thing. He will suggest discouragement and defeat. He will try to get you to quit too soon. But we have to ignore his distracting temptations and purpose to meet God's condition of faithfulness. We will be faithful. And I'm telling you, this may be the place where we are most likely to win or lose the battle with transitions. Remember Sheldon's comment? Change is never fine. They say it is, but it's not. Well, change may never be fine, but it is inevitable. And we need to be faithful to God and His mission during the transition. Elisha had to be willing to let go of the old, and that wasn't easy, and be faithful to God in the new circumstance. Finally, to successfully negotiate the transitions, we need to be courageous enough to trust God's power. You remember in in Israel's earlier history, long time before this time that we're talking about, God was calling Joshua to step into the leadership position that was being vacated by Moses. And several times, you may recall, God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. In other words, Be courageous enough to trust my power for what I'm calling you to do. And that's what's going on here as we move to the end, verse 14 of this passage. Elijah is wondering whether God is really going to anoint him with the power he needs to fill Elijah's shoes. Is God really going to do it? Verse 14, he struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided, and Elisha went across. Here's what I think might have been going on. Elisha was devastated 
by the loss of his mentor and his friend. He was hurt. Yet he was determined to be faithful to carry on the mission. So he picks up the mantle which had fallen off Elijah as he was headed to heaven. He picks it up off the ground. It was a symbol of the prophetic office. It symbolized the power of God that was on Elijah. And he picked it up with the hope that the power of God would also be available to him for the call that God had put on his life. Up to now, up to this point, there was no visible indication that that had happened. There was no indication that Elisha would enjoy the same kind of godly power that accompanied Elijah's ministry. So he comes to the Jordan River. He kind of remembers how Elijah had folded it up. What Elijah had done when that happened. And he wondered, is the power of God going to be on me? And to make it worse, there was this group of other prophets across the Jordan on the other side watching because they wanted to know, is the power of God going to be on Elisha like it was on Elijah? And he didn't know. And you know, he could have played it safe. He could have just said, well, I'm going to find out later. I'm just going to cross the Jordan, walking across or swimming across. I'm just going to, I'm just not going to test it. But he knew this was the test. And so he wound that thing up. He raised it over his head and he struck the Jordan River. And he said, where is the God of Elijah? waters began backing up and he walked across the Jordan River. What had happened? God had confirmed that his power was available to Elisha as well. May I remind you today That in our changing circumstances, whatever they might be, God has the power we need. And he wants us to trust his power. Elisha could have said, I'm not going to take the risk. But he did. And he trusted. And God revealed his power. He wants us to trust his power. God wants us to trust him. He will not fail us. And listen, we will not exhaust his resources. He has the power we need. What he asks is for us to exercise through faith in him to allow his power to work in our behalf. So what was the result? What was the result of what had gone on here? Of Elisha 
choosing to follow the Lord in the transition? It's right there in verse 15. The prophet said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. The spirit of Elijah rests on Elijah. And his comments about this passage, Monty Newman said, said, I would never suggest that Elisha did his happy dance. You know, I thought that was a great way to put it. He said, my guess is that Elisha had a heavy heart for a long time. My guess is that he missed his old mentor for a long time. My guess is that Elisha had to get used to being the the new number one prophet in town. But there was no hint at all that Elisha would do anything other than move forward. There was no going into seclusion to stew in his juices and worry about it or wallow in his sorrow. He moved forward. I find little things like this interesting sometimes. You will too if you don't know about it. But be reminded that Scripture records that Elijah performed seven major miracles that are recorded in the Scriptures in the power of the Lord during his lifetime. Seven major miracles. It is at least interesting to see that Elisha's life story records 14 major miracles of God throughout his ministry. He asked for a double portion. And in fact, it's interesting for me to note that the same thing Elisha Elisha said about Elijah when he was taken up into heaven was said about Elisha when he was about to die. The king came in to visit Elisha. Here's what he said. My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. You and I read that and say, what in the world? What does that mean? It's better if we understand it means my master, my master, who by your intercession was of more use to Israel than horses and chariots. He had said that to Elijah as he left. And the king said that about Elisha as he was about to die. It's the kind of statement that has the same intent as the words of Jesus that we hope to hear one day. When he says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. The transition, even though it was God orchestrated, was not easy. But because Elisha rested in God's knowledge of the situation, because he was focused on God's mission, because He remained faithful to God in the midst of it because he trusted God's power. He enjoyed God's best for his life after the transition. And the Spirit of God flowed through him to impact the world in which he lived. That's what I pray for you and for me. Transitions, change. But may God help us to do them so successfully and do them within His will and His power in such a way that 
after the transition, the Spirit of God still flows through us. And we still have a positive impact on the world around us for the sake of Jesus Christ. That's what I believe God wants us to do. These transitions could, in fact, detour us completely. I don't think that's happening here. And I do believe that God is going to use this congregation, this group of people, in fabulous ways, ways you can't even imagine as you move through the transition, trusting God's power to work. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you'll help each of us to think seriously about the changes, the transitions in our lives. Some of us may be personally facing those transitions that are difficult. You know what they are. I pray that you'll help them to be able to trust you to work through that transition. I pray for the church. I pray, oh God, that you will help caring community church to be able to go through this transition trusting you. There's a lot of detail, a lot of work, a lot of interviewing, an opportunity for the enemy to really do a number on us if we're not careful. And I pray that you will pour 